If you have your Bibles with us, um, turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see one in the pew back in front of you. Uh, we'd love for you to open that one up with us. Uh, the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is effective. The Word of God reads us. The Word of God transforms. The Word of God brings faith. The Word of God increases faith. Uh, so we would love for you to open that Bible up with us. If you need a Bible, take that blue one home with you. If you know someone who needs a Bible, bring that blue one home uh, and give that to them. We'd love to be part of that. Okay. Um, Revelation is last book of the Bible, so toward the very, very, very back. If you hit the maps, you've gone too far. Um, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation is in the back of the Bible. The last couple pages, in fact. Last few pages. Okay. So, kind of weird in Revelation for Christmas. What is that all about? Uh, well, last week, we looked at Jesus' story, our King of Kings coming in the manger. We looked at it from that perspective, from the front of it. What does Jesus come? We asked that question from the front. Now what we're going to do is we're going to ask the same question, but we're going to do it from the back. Okay? We took it from the front when Jesus comes in the manger, and we're going to take it from the back, the end of all time, the end of sin, the end of suffering. What does that look like? Why did Jesus come at the very end? What does that look like? Revelation chapter 5. What we usually focus on on Christmas is the front side of Jesus' message. What is He going to do when we look at the manger? What is this baby going to do? What is He going to grow up and accomplish? Let's take a look at the back of the, of the book to see what Jesus has done. So, Revelation chapter 1. The Apostle John is worshiping on Sunday. He has been boiled in oil per church tradition. Couldn't kill the guy. God kept him alive. So he couldn't kill him. They ship him off to the island of Patmos, this prison island, to work himself to death. John is worshiping on Sunday, and John is swept up in a vision from God of Jesus. John sees Jesus in Jesus' glory, and he falls flat on his face as a dead man. Jesus lifts him up. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus gives John particular messages to particular churches. We went through this a few months ago. You might remember. How would you like for your church to receive a letter from Jesus. Make you a little nervous? Make me a little nervous. So Jesus gives John messages for these particular churches. Revelation chapter 4, John sees a door that is, has been opened, and the door is taking him to the throne room of God. How would you feel being in the throne room of God? A little nervous? A lot nervous? Yeah. And so John is before the throne of God. In chapter 5, we're going to ask this question. Why did Jesus come? Let's pick up this story together. John, Revelation chapter 5, big number 5, goes like this. Remember, this is John. Then I, John, saw 
in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne. Who's seated on the throne? God the Father. The right hand of the One sitting on the throne. A scroll written within and on the back. Sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look into it. And I began to weep loudly. I wept and I wept bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. (laughs) And one of the elders around the throne said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And when he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. Your prayers are in here. You didn't know you were in the Bible, did you? Your prayers are in this. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you, Jesus, were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and elders a voice of angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Bet you didn't know you were in the Bible. You're you're. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Okay. What an incredible passage. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Why is Jesus the baby in the manger? 
Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why did the King of Kings take on flesh? Why did God the Son become a human? Fully God and fully man. Why? First thing that we see, Jesus came to accomplish the will of God the Father in the judgment and redemption of humanity. So John sees the throne. What must that look like? What must that feel like? What must be going through your mind? What must be going through your heart to see God the Father? And then you see God the Father and in His hand is a scroll. And this scroll, it's almost like all of the cosmos, the angels, the elders, John himself zeroes in on this scroll in his hand. What must be in that scroll in the hand of the Creator and Sustainer of the universe? What must be in this scroll? We see that the scroll is sealed with seven seals. Seven seals is unique. You don't, you don't seal up a document with seven scrolls. You do one. You do two. Sealed with seven seals. This is an official, serious, weighty message. And as we said, the cosmos is laser focused on the scroll. The scroll is there. The scroll is in the hand of the Father and it contains... The God, the Father's will. And John sees it. And we see that it's, it's the, God the Father didn't do this. He didn't show everybody. We see it's sealed up. It's rolled up. The will of God is mysterious. The documents, the scrolls in that day and age, if you had something that you want to keep secret that you want everybody to know if it was just for one person in particular or a group of people in particular or if it was official you would seal it with a seal it was clay the seal would be clay or wax you'd you'd wrap you'd wrap string around it to keep the scroll together and then over the string you would pour wax and then you would put an insignia on the seal and this way you could guarantee when, when delivered, you could guarantee that that scroll has not been read before. And that scroll, that message has not been altered. Complete security. One is secure. How secure is seven? Seven is secure. No one is opening it. No one knows the will of God. No one is able to adjust or change the will of God. It is there. It is concrete. No one alters the will of God. We don't know the will of God unless He reveals it to us. You with me? There's no sneaking in His bushes, peeking through His window to see what He's up to. There's no thinking really hard in a cave somewhere trying to ascertain who God is and what He wants. There's none of that. If God is going to reveal, if we're going to find out the will of God, He must reveal it to us. And how has He done that? Right here. This revelation of God is the only way we know the will of God. You with me? If anyone tells you that they know and they've got something special from God for you, 
Go the other direction. Okay? This is how we know the will of God. This is how God reveals it to us. The will of God is mysterious. The will of God is extensive. Again, the cosmos, the entire, the angels, everything. We get, we get the voices of the whole world, up above the world, under the world, in the world, in the sea. We get everybody focused on this scroll. This will of God is extensive. It is written not just on the front of the scroll, but John can see in his hand, he can see that it's written on the back of the scroll. You have a scroll to write a message which has a set length. And then you would write your message. And if you get to the end of it, there's no delete button. You, there's no escape button. There's no restart. There's, I worked all on this scroll. I ran out of room. What am I? I'm going to flip it over. I'm going to keep going. If you have more to say than the scroll allows you, you can't staple another page to it. You write on the back of the scroll. And we get a sense that this scroll that is perfectly secure in the, hands, in the hand of the Creator of the universe, we get a sense that this scroll, the contents of which is for all creation. That everybody wants to know what's in this scroll. It affects everybody. It affects us all. God has a will for every molecule in the universe. He's not too busy. He's not too busy for a molecule on the moon. He's not too busy for a sparrow in the sky. No one sparrow falls from the sky without God knowing it. Matthew 10, 29. He's not too busy for them. He's not too busy for you. How many of us have heard or have Feel, them, feel thinking that I can't talk to guys too. We've got more important things to deal with. God has got to, he deals with presidents and kings and queens. He has no time for me. Give God more credit than that. He knows the sparrows. He's got a will for the sparrow. He's got a will for the sparrow. And Psalm 147.4, and He determines the number of the stars and He gives to all of them their names. This is a God who is in complete control of everything from the tiniest sparrow to the largest stars. He is in control and He has a will for it all. And we see the scroll not only has seven seals, not only does that mean that it's very, very secure, but it also tells us what is in the scroll. In the Roman world, a document that is, that is sealed by seven seals that is written on the front and the back is a very particular document. That is a will and testament. That is a document of inheritance. This scroll will be unsealed in the rest of Revelation. And we will see, and we see by the seven seals, we see that it is a scroll, is a document for mankind. And this scroll 
documents and details every human's lot in God's inheritance. What are you inheriting from God the Father? In this document is what your neighbor is inheriting from God the Father. In this document are, is what my, my girls, my little boy, will inherit from God the Father. In this document is what my grandchildren will inherit from God the Father. It spells out God's will. It spells out God's will for mankind. Specifically, it spells out what every single person will inherit from God the Father. We see this theme in Scripture. Ephesians 1.11 says it this way, In Him, Jesus, we have an obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. This document is the inheritance that Paul talks about in Ephesians. We see Jesus talk about inheritance. Matthew 5.5, 5, He says, the meek shall what? Inherit the earth. It's all God's. God owns it and He passes it off. He passes an inheritance to us. Last one, Colossians 3.23-24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you, Christian, will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Christ the Lord. So this document is a document of a will and a testament. It's a document of inheritance. But it's not all good news. We have seen this very scroll other places in Scripture. This scroll is a theme. This inheritance is a theme. This scroll is a theme. Ezekiel saw the scroll in a vision of God. Ezekiel 2.9 says it this way, and when I looked, Ezekiel says, this is just like John, when I looked, says Ezekiel, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it, and he spread it out before me, and it had writing on the front and the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. This scroll brings sorrow for some. We see this scroll again in Daniel 12. Daniel 12 is about the end times. It says this in Daniel 12, but at that time, at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book of a scroll. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. The contents of the scroll brings a division in mankind. Some for everlasting life and some for everlasting contempt and wrath. So this scroll holds within its rolls the eternal destiny 
of those who reject God and inherit judgment and the eternal destiny of those who by faith in Jesus will receive an everlasting inheritance to reign over the earth. The scroll holds the will and testament of God that reveals the fate of every single human being. Your name is in that scroll for an inheritance. The question is, will you inherit judgment or will you inherit redemption? The scroll is God the Father's will for the end of sin and suffering and death for His people. And it is the final judgment of sinners who reject Christ. And so John sees this scroll and you just it's like, almost like it's just emanating this, this weightiness, this holiness, this seriousness. This, can you imagine the will of God in a scroll? And then an angel appears and he calls out to every being in the cosmos and he says, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And you can imagine John looking around going, yeah, somebody take that. Who's it going to be? Somebody take that. Who is worthy to bring judgment and redemption? Who is worthy to usher in mankind's inheritance? Who is worthy to do and accomplish the will of God in the final judgment and final reward? Who is strong enough? Who is reliable enough? Who is holy enough? Who can we trust? And a great search happens. In heaven, no one is found. No angel can accomplish this. This is an inheritance for all mankind, not for angels. No one on the earth can accomplish this. Who is worthy among us? Who can accomplish this well? Who among us are best, the best of the best? Can we accomplish this? Are we reliable enough? Are we holy enough? You might think, well, preacher, I'm a pretty good guy. Most of the time, I, I bet I could take God's will and I could usher all this stuff in. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty smart. I could handle that. Really? I or you can usher in the will of God for all humanity? We can't usher in the will of God for our own life for one single day. How many of us can accomplish the will of God to love Him and love others for 24 hours? Can we do that? We can't even do that in our own life. I can't go 24 hours without, without breaking a commandment of the Lord. I can't go 24 hours loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I can't go 24 hours loving you like I love myself. I can't do that. Of course I can't open the scroll. And for John, a Jewish man who knows Scripture, who knows the great saints that are in the Bible, no one even under the earth can accomplish this. None of the saints who have come before us can even open the scroll. Moses can't do it. King David can't do it. 
Job can't do it. And in this realization, John begins to weep. And the original Greek says it this way, I wept and I wept in hopelessness and bitterness. That's the idea. It's not just a manly tear. It's not just one manly tear. It is ugly crying. I wept and I wept and I wept. Why? Why would John weep? What is there to weep about if the scroll stays in the Father's hand? Well, if the scroll stays in the Father's hand, then the glorious plan of God is not being carried out. That is something for all of us to weep about. What hope do we have if God's will remains unaccomplished? What hope do we have? We have no hope. Why would John be weeping if the scroll stays in the Father's hand? There will be no judgment for sin. Boy, that sounds pretty good. Might get off easy if that's the case. If there's no judgment for sin, we must weep and weep and weep. John's persecutors if there is no judgment for sin if God's will remains sealed up in the scroll John's persecutors who have dipped him in boiling oil and sent him to the prison island for the rest of his life go free for John seeing the scroll still sealed that means the the persecutors who killed all the other apostles go consequence free. If the scroll stays sealed, there's no justice for the poor and the oppressed. If the scroll stays sealed, evil will go unpunished forever. Revelation 6, when the fifth seal is broken, we get a picture of the martyrs. These are men and women who die and give their life for the sake of the good news of Jesus. They die instead of turning from Jesus. They die to proclaim the good news to the nations. And they say it this way, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until Your judgment avenges our blood on those who dwell on the earth. God's will is sealed. Those beautiful martyrs of our faith go unavenged. That cannot happen. John weeps because there will be no eternal inheritance for believers. John weeps because if the scroll is still sealed, then our obedience has been in vain then there's no reward for our war against our sinfulness. There's no reward for laying down our lives for others. There's no reward for serving when it's hard. There will be no rest for believers. There will be no eternity with Jesus. That is worth weeping and wailing. And then we hear an elder say, John, John, John. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has 
conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Of course the will of God can never be thwarted. Jesus has conquered and he can open the scroll and execute the will of God. Why is Jesus able to open the scroll? To take the scroll and open it, the person must be a recipient of humanity's inheritance. And they must be able to bring redemption and forgiveness. So the person who takes the scroll must be fully God and fully man. Jesus can open the scroll because He is fully man. The promise of the scroll is for humanity's inheritance. A human must receive it. Your dog can't receive your inheritance. An angel can't receive our inheritance. A demon can't receive our inheritance. It must be a representative of the human race must accept the scroll and execute the will. And so we have a little baby born in a manger in the tribe of Judah in the line of David. Jesus is a man born into the family of the prophesied King David. He is to be born into the tribe of Judah. Jesus must be fully man. To open the scroll and execute the will of God means bringing redemption through the forgiveness of sin. So the one who opens the scroll to execute forgiveness of sins must be a man. I see the one who opens the scroll is a lamb who's been slain. The promised glorious inheritance for believers will only come to those whose sins are forgiven. And according to God's law, in Hebrews 9.22, it says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Angels don't have blood. Our Jehovah's Witness friends believes that Jesus was an angel. One of the reasons that that theology is lacking and will send people to hell is to believe that Jesus was an angel is to believing that He is some spiritual being that does not have blood to shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Therefore, the one who opens the scroll must have blood and a body. He must be killed for the forgiveness of sins. And we see all throughout the Old Testament this idea is, is in, in Awana. I, I taught one of the I taught the, the story, I taught the lesson for Awana a couple weeks ago, and one of the questions was, why did we have to sacrifice animals? Don't you love those kind of questions? They just pop up from two year olds, you think, man, you're smarter than me. I can't believe. Why? Why would we why do we have to sacrifice animals? 
God set up this system in the Old Testament that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so we see what? We see the people of Israel raising perfect, blemishless lambs in their family to go to the temple to sacrifice them to God for the forgiveness of our sin. We see this years after year after year after year after year. We see in the Exodus, the last plague the angel of death coming into Egypt, taking the firstborns, except for whom? Except for whoever takes a lamb, sheds its blood, and wipes the blood on the doorpost. Then the wrath of God will pass over that family. We have this theme in the Old Testament of blood bringing forgiveness. The sacrifice of the lamb bringing forgiveness. We see this, and then John says, I've seen the one who's taking the scroll, bringing about the will of God for redemption and for justice, and bringing about the will of God for forgiveness of sins, and he is a lamb that has been slain. Why did they sacrifice animals? To prepare us for Jesus' sacrifice. Why were lambs created at all thinking about Jesus? Thinking about Jesus. Jesus, the one who opens the scroll must be Jesus because Jesus is fully man. And the one who opens the scroll must be fully man and He also must be fully God. Can any human who is just a human being open the scroll? Can any human who is just a human being be the perfect sacrifice? Can any human being open the scroll? No, it takes God to be perfect. So knowing, looking through our history, knowing that there would be no human being, man or woman, of any race, creed, religion, doesn't matter. None of us are perfect. None of us can do it. And so that baby in the manger must be fully man. And he must be fully God because only God can be perfect. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And so no man could do it. Jesus must do it. And we see that He is fully God in this. He says, he says, Behold, he says stop crying, stop crying. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. It's a weird way to say it. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. When you talk about a family tree, when my little boy is born in February, do we add a root to our family tree when he's born? Or do we add a branch? You add a branch. You don't add a root. So the baby in the manger was the root of his family tree. How can he be both the root of his family tree, and a branch in his family tree. How can he do this? He could do this because Jesus is at once the root, the foundation of that family, the creator of that family, the one who existed as the Son of God for eternity past. He is the root, but he took on flesh in the manger and he also became the branch. Jesus created David's line and he put on flesh to enter into David's line. The root of David means Jesus is God. And so because he is human, Jesus can die on the cross and open the scroll. And because he is God, he can be the, surface, the, the perfect sacrifice. And in sacrificing his divine life, Scratch that. 
and sacrificing his life on the cross, he can be a perfect and effective means of taking away our punishment. Well, men and women are executed every day, preacher. Why, why, why doesn't that pay for our sins? The death of a sinful human being is not powerful and effective. It happens every day. The death of a human being is what we earn through our sin. The wages of sin is death. The death of a human being is not surprising. It will not save anyone. However, the perfectly sinless God in flesh, Jesus Christ, laying down His life for a sinner is of infinite value because He is not just a man. He is God in flesh. The shedding of His blood wrecked the world changed everything the shedding of his blood on earth is earth shattering the innocence the sacrifice of the son of god the undeserved grace and mercy has been powerful and effective and will pay the penalty for our sins so why can jesus open the scroll because jesus is fully god and jesus is fully man takes the scroll as the Lamb who was slain, fully God and fully man. And as He executes the will of God, as He brings about the will of God to this moment, He is able and worthy to unravel the scroll because He has purchased a people for God. Worthy are you! Verse 9, to take the scroll and opens its, open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, you bought people for God. Christian, you have been purchased. You have been bought. You have not bought yourself. You do not buy yourself with good works. You do not write your own name in that scroll. You've been purchased. 1 Corinthians 6 says it this way, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. The price is Jesus' blood. Jesus has come to accomplish the will of God by purchasing a people for God. Jesus purchased us from sin. From birth, due to Adam's sin, we are all born with sin and guilt. You don't believe me? When my little boy is born in a couple months, come over and, and watch him. I don't have to teach him to lie. I'm not going to have to teach him to smack his sisters. I'm not going to have to teach him to steal cookies from the cookie jar. Although he might see me do that. Um, I don't have to teach him these things. Why? Because these things are within him. He has inherited this. We are slaves to sin. Romans 6.20 says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. We are slaves to sin. Paul tells us in Romans 6, uh, the wages of sin is death. We are saved, slaves to sin. We are slaves to death. And the result is that we are eternal slaves in hell. And so Jesus has come 
and he purchases us from sin. He purchases us. He, we have this bank account that is filled with sin. Jesus has a bank account that is filled with righteousness. He has come and taken all my sin out of my bank account, and he climbed up on that cross to take the punishment, and he took all of his righteousness in his bank account, and he put it into my bank account. And in this way, he has purchased me from sin, from death, and from hell. Not only that, now this one's hard. Okay? This one's hard. Jesus purchases us from sin. Jesus also purchases us from the just wrath of God. God's wrath is against sinners. And Jesus' death on the cross turns away, atones for, turns away the wrath of God for all sinners who repent and believe. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Do you have any ungodliness? I do. Do you have a lot of ungodliness? How's your, how's your sin bank account looking? Mine is bursting at the seams. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. But for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, and are justified, are made righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, God the Father put forward as a propitiation, as something that turns away the wrath of God by Jesus' blood to be received by faith. (coughs) What does this say? It says, before I came to Christ, I was an object of God's wrath and I deserved it. I deserved it. An object of God's wrath. And the wages of sin is death. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out on me for eternity in hell. That's before I met Christ. But Jesus came in the manger and to execute the will of God, Jesus came to offer freedom from sin, to purchase me from sin and death and hell, to purchase me from the wrath of God, to satisfy the justice of God, the wrath of God. Jesus took my sins and took the wrath of God for me on the cross. So that because of His grace and mercy and because of my faith in Jesus, God does not see me as an object of wrath, but an object of an eternal inheritance with Him. Are you with me? Please don't believe. Please don't believe that God is never angry. If you believe God is never angry, you're not going to look for a Savior. You're not going to think you need a Savior. It is nothing but hatred to preach or tell someone that God is always happy. He's never angry. It is only hatred to tell someone that because it's not true. And you're gonna, you might gain nice points and gain a smile from that person, but you are ushering them in to hell because they don't need a Savior. God's not angry at our sin. We don't need a Savior. I might need somebody to teach me to be a little better. I'm just a sinner with a heart of gold. I need somebody to, to take me into heaven and all this stuff. I don't need somebody to turn 
away the wrath of God. I do need that. I do need that. And in God's grace and His mercy, He sent Jesus to accomplish His will, which means to provide grace and mercy for all who turn to Jesus. In Jesus' death and resurrection, He is worthy to open the scroll and execute the will of God to bring condemnation to those still in their sin who reject Him and to bring forgiveness and redemption and an eternal inheritance for those who repent and believe the good news of Jesus. It's there. It's there. That offer is there. And God really means it. How does he really mean it? He really means it because he sent Jesus to die on the cross, become the lamb that was slain. He really means it because Jesus willingly climbed on that cross for you to offer to turn away God's wrath for you. Well, condemnation's a hard, sad word. What other word is appropriate for someone who rejects the lamb of God? What else could there be? What greater sin is there to see the Son of God take on flesh to be brutally murdered on a cross to offer forgiveness for sinners? What greater sin could there be than to reject that and spit on that? What greater sin could there be? But there is time. There is time. Jesus is worthy to unroll the scroll because He has purchased a people for God. What does this people look like? Let's close it right here. What do these people look like? Verse 10 again. Would you read this with me? What does this look like? One line above. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. What are the, who are these people that Jesus has purchased? Who is He turning them into? Who is He transforming them into? They are a diverse people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Every nook and cranny of sinful people and sinful humanity, no matter what language, no matter what skin color, God says, that one is mine. He pulls us up. That one is mine. That one is for my inheritance. Every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. So how should Christians view racism? Jesus came to make us brothers and sisters with every race under the sun. Racism absolutely spits on the cross of Christ. It's what He came for. How shall that influence our desire for international missions? Some Christians say, we have people here, we don't need to go out there. And I get what they're saying. I mean, we, we're, we're here for Pittsburgh first. I understand that. But we are also here for the nations. Our Savior came for the nations. How can we turn our back on the nations? Diverse people Christ purchased a priesthood. All who come to Christ are being transformed into the image of Jesus, into a priest of our God. Priests are God-centered. Jesus purchased a God-centered people. Role of priest is to serve God by leading others to the worship and praise and glorifying of God's holy name. Jesus purchased a people that is about making faithful followers. That's what priests do. 
The eternal purpose of the people Jesus purchased with His blood is to glorify and worship God and to bring others to glorify and worship God as well. I don't have time. I don't got time. I'm going to do it anyway. Our, your career, your aspirations, all fall short to your eternal career, which will be the priesthood of your God. So, when our jobs are hard, when we don't like our jobs, one of the ways we can get through it is to realize that we are meant for greater things even than your great job that you might have now. Parents, are we training our kids up to make sure that they become great little scientists or athletes or businessmen, businesswomen? Are we, is that our primary concern? Or are we training up our children to be priests of our Most High God? Ouch, that one's convicting. Jesus purchased a diverse people. Jesus purchased a priesthood. Jesus purchased a royal people. They shall reign on the earth forever. Let me squash this misunderstanding about heaven. Heaven is not going to be us sitting on a cloud, singing, strumming harps together. Are you with me? Hey, take care of him. Take care of him. (laughs) Are you with me? That doesn't sound like heaven. Have you heard me sing? That's not going to be heaven for you. Right? That's not what it's about. Heaven, if you were to die right now, you would go be with the Father in heaven. It would be fabulous. It would be incredible. It would be mind-blowing. You can't imagine how good it's going to be. But if you die today and go to heaven, you will have something to look forward to. And that is Jesus ushering in a new heaven and a new earth where you will reign over the earth. Don't tell me about sitting on clouds strumming harps. I don't want to go there. I want to reign over the earth with Jesus. So, we've been talking about this inheritance. We've been talking about who can open the scroll. There's only one person who can open the scroll, and that is Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. He could pay the penalty for our sin. His death is powerful and effective. It could, it could forgive all of our sins no matter what because He is God in flesh. He opens the scroll because He is one of us. He is humanity. He can open the scroll of inheritance. So what are we inheriting? We're going to finish right here, so let's finish strong. Please be listening to this and ask yourself, what are you inheriting? Are you inheriting judgment or are you inheriting redemption and grace and mercy and a new heaven and a new earth to reign forever? We see the culmination of of our inheritance in Revelation 21. The scroll will unfurl in the rest of the book of Revelation, and I think it will reach its, its high point in Revelation 21. It sums up both what believers will experience in our redemptive inheritance, and it will explain what sinners in, the, in God's judgment will ex- inherit forever. And it goes like this. John said this way, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, this inheritance, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But please listen. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Anyone see themselves in that? That's all of us. It's all of us outside of Jesus. Their portion, their inheritance will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So my friends, as the worship team comes up, I'm going to ask you again, what is your inheritance? Jesus came to bring humanity our inheritance. Is your inheritance going to be in the lake of fire forever? Is that what you inherit? This church, if that's you, don't play games with God. If that's you, This church is going to call you, beg you, ask you to decide today to repent from your sins and follow Jesus. Another way to put that. If that's your inheritance, we're going to ask you to have faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus means knowing who He is, agreeing with what He says, and embracing Him and loving Him. When we do that, all of our sins are wiped away, washed away, we are sparkling clean, we are new in the sight of God. When we come to Jesus and make Him Lord and Savior of our life, we are now inheriting the kingdom of God. We are now inheriting the new heaven and the new earth where every tear will be wiped away. My friends, repent and believe.